five MotoGP races down in 2021, but here today we are going to discuss Valentino Rossi and where he's at this season. Toby Moody, Valentin Harunshi, Simon Patterson here to chew the cud. Simon, what's the first thing that springs to mind when I say to you, Valentino Rossi and MotoGP? I really, really wish Valentino Rossi's last season, a current season in MotoGP, wasn't as bad as it currently is. But he's done so much for the sport that he is quite simply still the biggest name in it. And I'm glad he's still around in one way or another. Valentin, what springs into your mind? Weirdly, I might be a bit youth-oriented, but most of my concern with Rossi right now is whether his team's Ducati deal will screw Bastianini out of a seat because that would be really unfortunate. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go for something a bit wider. When I think of Valentino Rossi and MotoGP, I think of Mugello, the V5 Honda, the Gulwars years, the Fiat liveries, the fact that he's been in the top class since 2000. And of course, we all have to remind ourselves this is his 22nd season in the top class. He started back in 1996 in 125, back at Shah Alam. I was there as a 23-year-old commentating on this 16-year-old. It was wuzzy television, 4-3 ratio, telephone line communications. We only broadcast the Saturday afternoon and then the races on the Sunday. Mark Marquez was three. Quattararo was one and a bit when Valentino did his first 500 race in 2000. Jack Miller, winner last time out and the time before uh, in this season, was one and a bit when Valentino rode his first 125 Grand Prix. And if we also want to go back to 1996, uh, maybe a bit more up your street, Nintendo 64 wasn't even released. The Motorola clamshell flip phone was only just launched. And even more frightening, I had horrendous hair. So, yeah... Um, Valentino, <laughs> he, he won the last 500cc championship on a, in 2001 on a bike that had come through from the mid-80s, the V4 NSR Honda. But instantly, it was defunct with MotoGP because the wave of Valentino Rossi coincided with the change of regulations to four-stroke MotoGP. 2002, and off the sport went with the arrival of this brand new technology and then the Ferrari of two wheels, Ducati, in 2003. Rossi's celebrations were becoming the highlight of his wins as much as it was for the team celebrating in the garage. He got stopped by the police at Mugello after the finishing line for speeding. The ball and chain, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the Skittles, the violin as he crossed the line at Donington. He played the tune that day. The hate he had against Biaggi, then Gibbonau. They gave huge TV figures. Four million watching in Spain, six million watching in Italy. The BBC in the UK had one and a quarter, one and a half million watching. And even little old us on Eurosport with myself and Julian, we had half a million, which was for us was were big figures. TV grew, the character grew, it was seen further afield. The snowball effect grew. Mugello was packed out from, from Friday night. But of course, Things don't get so easy if you do the same thing for 26 years now. And of course, physically, the human body changes too. And that brings us up to date to where he is now in 2021. So, where do we start? Um, let's go back to the last race, shall we, at Le Mans in 2021. Did Le Mans move the needle towards Rossi staying or or Rossi leaving. It was a wet race. It wasn't easy, but things 
were just not good. You're a bit more involved in the paddock, you two. I've got a bit more history. Where? How do you view where he is now? I don't think that any of the results we're really seeing, no one result is going to move the needle at the minute. Uh, the decision on whether or not he stays or goes is going to be taken as a broader stroke. But I also think that because he's Valentino Rossi, and because he's VR46 limited as well as Valentino Rossi, it won't be entirely about results. There'll be commercial implications. There'll be, uh, you know, the, the, there's things to do with the team, come, his own teams coming through. There's a, a big picture. And I, yeah, I, I don't know if one performance is going to turn everything around. Don't get me wrong. If he suddenly wins a race, that's different. Um, but I think, you know, the, the sort of the, whether or not he finishes... 8th or 12th this week those aren't the sort of results that's going to determine it one way or another I mean let's be honest if it wasn't for other considerations off track considerations uh, the decision would have been made already and this would be Valentino Rossi's final season in, in MotoGP I think there's no question about that in fact I honestly I'd be surprised if he even got this season based on competitive competitive considerations I mean even in, in Le Mans in mixed conditions he did end up the third best Yamaha Probably would have been the fourth best if Franco Morbidelli didn't dive into the gravel while trying to pass Paul. So, and and you know that kind of that kind of stinks in a way because obviously Valentino's a, a huge legend of the sport and he's still he's still competitive he's still good he's still box office but at, at a certain point past accolades have to start paying for it and I'm not sure what extra value is being added by having Rossi run fifteenth, twelfth, tenth week in week out i just as a part of me that's like if he stays for another year imagine what a raul fernandez would do on that bike imagine what somebody from there would do on that bike i i don't see the point right now but obviously it's not my decision to make and it shouldn't be so yeah i hear we say about the commercial and side of things and and i love the business of, of sport full stop but there's still only one person riding the bike there's still only one person who if he falls off, he's going to get hurt and going to go to hospital and wake up a bit creaky in the morning. And that's him. He still, he must still believe he's got it. If he didn't believe he had it, surely he, he wouldn't put his leg over the bike. I think whether or not he believes he's got it, there's a bigger force at play in his own head. Valentino Rossi is a natural showman. He is, you know, he, he has always had this role in MotoGP. The reason that he's so popular is not because entirely of his results record, because if it was, then Mark Marquez would be as popular. McDoon would have been as popular. The reason that he is who he is is the huge show that he puts on. And, you know, uh, Val, I sent a message earlier to our group chat to say the Rolling Stones will never retire with a Netflix special. Valentino Rossi will not walk away from MotoGP in front of an empty grandstand. That, to me, is the, the defining line of it. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. But is, I believe, sorry, I believe that he is creative enough with all of those celebrations and the showmanship that we've all discussed, he's creative enough to do something that's all about the now. And the now is, as you said, limited grandstand numbers, limited people at Grand Prix, even bit by bit they're coming in. But football matches, it's all a bit village fate at the moment in big in big stadia but he he's creative enough to do something else and 
I just sense that he would have done it by now. But then again, let's wait until Michello. Who knows what he's got got up his sleeve? I mean, I think there's a there's a decent solution in in that regard. Is that call it at the end of this season, but agree and you know contractually agree a wild card with Yamaha at Mugello next year in front of the in front of the fans and do that. Won't be very competitive, but you know it's it's not about that anymore, really, is it? Because Rossi might sneak an extra podium at, at this point, at some point, potentially, but the, the legacy is secure. Rossi's career as it is, the the whole epitaph on it isn't, isn't changing. And obviously we have to, at this point, be really sympathetic. Not that Valentino Rossi needs my sympathy in some way or whatever, but obviously a huge chapter of his life is about to end this year or next year, maybe the year after there's going to be a point where he has to go and say, okay, that's my whole life has been about that. And that's done now, but I still have years and years and years and years to live. Obviously he has, you know, he likes four wheel racing too, but it won't be this. It won't be what his whole life has been about. So that's obviously going to be always a complicated decision, which is why it helps when teams and manufacturers make that decision for you when they can make that decision for you, when, when I don't know, Honda can tell Danny Pedrosa, okay, that's done. That's it. You know, good work, good service, thank you, but that's it. And it's, it, it might come off as harsh, but it's, I don't know, it it's, doesn't feel any more harsh than just leaving that power up to, to Valentino himself, weirdly. Yeah, but Lynn Jarvis is in a difficult position as well. Yamaha are in a difficult position as well. The Japanese are in a difficult position because they're very loyal. They know what good Valentino has done for Yamaha. He won that first race when he jumped on the Yamaha, Velcom 2004, boom, just out of nowhere, won the race because it was him that made the difference. And the Japanese will never, ever, ever forget that. More of a connection between Yamaha and Rossi than Senna and Honda. And... They are not going to say, thanks, guy, thanks, mate, but, you know, we're not going to sign this contract. They, there's, there's, there's probably a polite standoff, almost, of they're not going to tell him to go. He's going to have to go himself. If that is the case, then I would call that a fundamental failure of Yamaha management because there's no place in racing for niceties. There is to a point, but Alberto Puig is not going to do that at Honda. Uh, Claudio Domenicali sure as hell has not done that at Ducati for two years in a row with two different riders there is a point in racing where there's there's just no room for it and Yamaha's problem is if they don't you know they're losing the ability to bring through young talent at a time when every other manufacturer is working hard to do that because they've got a 42 year old who's 10 years older than the second oldest rider when they should be out trying to sign a Raul Fernandez or a Pedro Acosta or a any one of other number of riders. Yeah, for for what it's worth, I mean, first of all, obviously, Yamaha did already at least do the, the minimal thing and make room for Fabio in the works lineup by demoting Rossi, a decision that was obvious at that point remains obvious now. It's clearly correct and it's clearly paying off. Uh, the, the, the question is, whenever Rossi talks about 2022, he says it's always going to be results-based and there, there were hints from various sides in the preseason that there's there's the current deal contains some sort of performance clause or something like that whether it's the deal with Petronas the deal with Yamaha I'm not personally sure but um maybe Yamaha are actually willing to to get a bit real with this I don't know it would makes I mean if you're a successful MotoGP manufacturer you have to be bigger than any one man 
And maybe you'll you'll have a look at Honda and you'll say, well, do you really? But Honda's guy is what? He's 28. What is Valentino Rossi? He's not 28. He's not. He's not going to be MotoGP champion again. So you have to you have to get harsh at some point. That's just that's just how it is. The other side of it, from a Yamaha perspective, is that they're in a position where their satellite team has made it quite clear at various points over the past year or so that they're not delighted with the support they get from Yamaha, yet Yamaha have foisted this 42-year-old upon a team who wants to develop young talent. So it, it further complicates that side of things. Mm. I'm quite surprised by the fact that the VR46 team have done a deal with Ducati. I thought that it would be a Yamaha's way to say... Sorry, Valentino, you can't ride the bike, but here's a five-year deal for you to have a VR46 yellow sun and moon whatever bike, and then Yamaha still win from him, even though he's in the garage as as a, as a front as a as a team front team manager. But but that slipped a bit with the with his with his half brother Luca Marini being on the VR46 Ducati. Is that going to be a Ducati team going forward? Do you think, Simon? Yeah, one hundred percent. We'll get an announcement at uh, Catalonia in what ten days' time that that will be the case for next year. The problem there is that Yamaha have shown with Petronas the level of support they give to a satellite team. They put a very, very competitive financial offer on the table for Rossi to run a satellite Yamaha team. He looked at the amount of technical support that satellite Ducati teams get, and he went, no, we're fine where we are, thanks. Which just proves again my point. Yamaha shot themselves in the foot there. That's why Rossi's going with Ducati, because it's the more competitive technical package. And I suppose, ultimately, answering my own question, it'll be a a VR46 bike rather than a Ducati. That's what people will know it as. Uh, and, And everybody, including myself, has forgotten... 2011, 2012, when he rode a red and white Ducati. You, you, you Google Valentino Rossi, there's no red and white bike with a 46 on the front. It's all down the bottom on page eight, isn't it? It just is as if it, it never happened. You've, you've hit upon the secret, Toby. That's why he's, that's why he's sent a Ducati <laughs> deal. It's to bury all the pictures in Google search results. What a terrible couple of years they were for him. But uh, but anyway, but anyway. Um, it- I mean, the whole situation with, with uh, Yamaha making an overture towards VR46. I mean, obviously, Yamaha and Rossi, there's the commercial considerations. I get that. And I'm, I'm sure it's a good operation. But tr- trying to find somebody to replace the Patronus team that won six races for you the year before and not... It suggests to me they're not really taking care of their relationship with the Patronus team. And I, I don't really get that because because you had that Patronus team and because it was capable of doing what it was capable of doing, you now have your rider of the future sitting on the bike. That Patronus team picked him, took some nudging, but it picked him and it developed him into a MotoGP superstar. It's Fabio Quartara. Wouldn't you also want them to take Raul Fernandez? Wouldn't you want them to take whoever else is available i don't know ask rossi for marco bedecki do something like that why would you why do you need to shake things up in that particular regard i don't know i I see what you're saying but from the japanese manufacturer's point of view val they they want the works team to be the top team you know they 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 find it very difficult as any manufacturer would to be beaten by the by the customer bike 
no matter what piece of metal it is, no matter what the spec, it's the customer bike. And for marketing from that point of view, for the works, for the factories, it's, it's, it's difficult to swallow, is it not? Simon, with your with your you know past history with the Petronas team and just you know generally being on top of this story, you reckon it's uh, it's going to be Morbidelli and and Rossi next year as well, or if Rossi retires, then where do they turn at this point? I I think if Rossi retires, they will try and pick a Moto Two rider up because that's okay. what they've always wanted to do. That was the original plan. Um, I. Th- think there's probably still a chance even though his results haven't been stellar of late for Jake Dixon Mm -hmm. because there's a huge push to put a British rider into the series again and he's already part of the team so it it makes sense to move him up there was talk of uh, you know that that seat originally let's not forget was sort of the Xavi Vierge seat Mm -hmm. but I think with Jake now sort of matching him in performance that that will be the route but they'll also look to people like Bezeki if he doesn't end up with VR46 which he probably will next week, but you know that that they've always wanted to move up young talent. They did it with Fabio so so successfully. They sort of set the model for what they wanted to do there. Maybe next year Valentino rides alongside his brother in VR forty six. From what I understand, that's contractually not possible. He went back to Yamaha with a contract, so it says, saying he would never race for another manufacturer. From what I understand. Can you actually even sign something like that? Like, is that legally, like, can you commit somebody to a lifetime of working with a brand in a contract? No, no, yeah, of course you, yeah. Of course you, of course you can, Valentin. He signed it. Both people signed it. It's a deal. Okay, well, yeah, but will it hold up? And if somebody wants to take it to court, will the courts be like, well, you know, lifetime contract, that's a thing. Yeah, it's called go. money. And, and it, it, uh. Valentino is so old, it doesn't have to be a lifetime contract. It has to extend another eight years, and then he's not allowed to ride MotoGP anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, they, they can... Anything can be written into contracts. Anything. Anything, anything, anything. But I mean, he, he did try to get out of his Ducati contract after one year. Melandri tried to get out of his Ducati contract after three or four races. Cal did um, get out of his Ducati contract Cal after did, one year. Correct, yeah. Uh, it's called money. It's quite, Kimi Raikkonen got paid to, huge amounts of money not to drive for Ferrari. It, yeah. It's called money. So... Um, it would be maybe coming back to what you said, Simon, a bit more of a fairy tale if he did his last season on a VR46 bike with his half brother, which means a lot to him, and that that might be a story. People back in the in the at the in the grandstands and such like. So, yeah. so mm. I, I will say I've heard no noises whatsoever, even suggesting that possibility from any of my sources. It's not even been hinted at by you know by, by sort of people within the VR46 camp or yeah. Mm. I get that. I get that. It's a little podcast dream, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so fun the, to imagine. Yeah. So, so talking about dreaming and talking about imagining, what would you see as the as the best way out of this for him? The, you know, the fairy tale. He, he's not going to be on the top of the podium. We talked about this last year, didn't we, Simon? About oh, he'd he'd announce his retirement on the top of the podium at Mugello or Misano. Well, that's not going to happen. So. How do you think he could do it gracefully in 2021? What I'd do is I'd walk away at the end of the year and then I'd I'd ask, really, really strongly ask Yamaha for a factory wildcard in uh, in Mugello. 
that's that's basically that. That'd be, I think that'd be pretty nice. The problem with that for me is that um, for Valentino Rossi, every race is a home race. And I don't know if yeah. just doing it at Mugello would be enough for him. For me, the, the dream ending to it would be announce soon, announce in the coming weeks that... 2022 will be the last season it will be the farewell parade it doesn't matter what the results are he's going to say goodbye to his fans globally they're going to do special liveries and custom helmets and it's going to be a year of celebration and just make it a party year just go out in style because that's Valentino Rossi yeah I, I see the appeal and you know obviously if he wants wants to do that and Yamaha are okay with doing that and who am I to say anything but I mean, this is a world championship this is sports imagine if a premier league team showed up to the premier league and was like oh these 38 games are our farewell tour in the premier league we're going to lose all of them we're going to feel our goalkeeper as a striker uh we're going to wear funny hats uh i don't know for me MotoGP is not the place for that and one of the one of the packages this is an amazing package the patronus yamaha package it's you know even with all of Franco's discontent, he's still able. He, he still stuck it on the podium already. And obviously last year it won six races. Uh, for me, that this is not the place for a for a farewell tour. I think if they want a farewell tour, I'd figure something else out. But obviously, again, who am I to say anything? And I I can't ignore the both the commercial and the sentimental aspects of it as much as I'd like to. I'd probably hit the halfway house, which is say in the coming days coming weeks guys i've tried but let's get through to the end of the year and then stand down at the end of the year but next year because he's under contract do something with patronus they would be creative enough to think of new things for him to do as a test rider because remember stoner wanted the buzz of riding the bike he just didn't want to deal with people and he didn't want to go, therefore didn't want to go to the races. So we got the buzz of Ryan the bike. Uh, he could maybe do a wild card next year. And they would they would get the commercial advantages out of him in, in, in 2022. And it would work for all parties because he's still VR. And then in 2023, that's another story. But I can't see him riding another 18 months. What are we, five races into this year plus next year? That's a, that's a bloody long way to go if you're not very good at the moment. You're not very quick at the moment because that's the bottom line, isn't it? The problem with that approach is that Yamaha, again, if they're thinking with their with their sensible race-winning brains, they have problems with the bike. They need to fix them. They've just signed an excellent test rider, they want him to do wildcards as part of the development process. They've already learned a harsh lesson about messing around with test riders with Jorge Lorenzo. Why sabotage Cal Crutchlow's, you know? And, and from what I understand, Cal is on the verge of signing another extension to his deal that'll keep him there even longer because he's doing stellar work for them. And, and there has to be, you know, there's a point where do you sabotage the factory team's development for Rossi's farewell tour, or do you just give him last year's bike and Patronus and say, just, we'll see you at the end of the year, thanks very much? Yeah, but by doing that, you might sabotage 2023 and 2024 and whatever. Like if, And there's nothing suggesting this, and from, from Ralph Fernandez's rhetoric, it sounds like he's planning to be pretty loyal to KTM for, for this next year at least. But if you have a chance to have his head turned, if you have 
and it, it, so I've done the Raul Fernandez piece and I've researched the um, what was it the first five races of every rider in Moto2 like the first five races they've done in Moto2 Raul's is an absurd outlier we have never had anything like this I think Maverick Vinales is the closest out of proper Moto2 rookies and he I think has 26 fewer points or something like that in the first five races that's a race wins distance nobody's ever won two races in their first five Moto2 races nobody's ever podium three times in their he's incredible you have to do everything you can to try to to try to secure him and if you somehow have a chance at putting him on one of the really 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 good satellite bikes that already made Fabio and Frankie's career and you go but no we have to do a farewell tour for Rossi then you're throwing your MotoGP future in the trash straight in the trash if I could jump ahead of you Simon but if Fernandez is that good and he patently is do a Valentino do a Marquez just put him on a works bike and look what they did they were that good except Fernandez is even better you've just said it that is pretty much my point. If there's a rider that Yamaha should be looking to get rid of in the immediate future, it's probably not <laughs> Valentino Rossi. It might actually be Maverick Vinales. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. I think that's. I think that's too much. That's too based on expectation. I think uh, Maverick. I think it's fair to say at this point has been a disappointment at Yamaha, but a disappointment only relative to the expectations that were foistered upon him when he came in as the hottest thing ever from Suzuki. He's won a lot of races for Yamaha now. On his day, he's still... Let's take his day and let's take current spec Rossi's day. Maverick is the guy you go with every single time. I I see what you mean, but I don't, I don't, I don't think they... I don't think there's any rationale in getting rid of, of Maverick early, especially if it's to make sure you keep a guy who, okay, worldwide superstar, uh, super great commercially, but also is 42 and will leave any second now and isn't bringing the same results as Maverick, even when Maverick is, is really off his game. It's really interesting conversation and I'm thoroughly enjoying it because everybody's got some valid points, but unfortunately there's no perfect scenario for Valentino at the moment, is there? I think that's what we're discovering in this chat. Why don't he do that? Why not? Yeah, but then there's commercial, then there's a deal, then there's money, then there's space, then there's Fernandez. Where does he go? Vinales is, there's no room at the inn there. They've got to go with Quattararo. They've got to stay with Quattararo. Oh, God, there's no perfect way, is there? There is another commercial aspect to throw into the whole thing as well, is that I think it's fair to say that from the day that he announces his retirement until the day he stops riding, it will become very, very difficult to get tickets for MotoGP races. And that means that Dorna yeah. will have also got an influence in all of this. They will, and, and, and they have the money to make things happen, you know. They, they will contribute millions to keep him in the sport if that's what it needs. Totally, and totally. And he's also got a new sponsorship deal with a huge Saudi conglomerate that we have no idea. You know, they're talking about building Valentino Rossi, the theme park. We don't know what they're throwing into the mix as well to keep <laughs> him in the sport for another year or, you know, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of commercial things pulling from a lot of directions. Yeah, it does concentrate the mind, doesn't it? Apparently, because I've never been offered that money and nor of us, but... You know, there was a... Yeah. On my end, when, when you mentioned the tickets thing, I was like, come on, how much pull can a farewell tour really have? And then I remembered that I specifically went to London to watch two Eden Hazard games in his final season with Chelsea. So, you know, maybe there is actually something to it. Uh, 
for me, I mean, what would be, again, the ideal scenario for me beyond the Mugello wildcard is Valentino can still live in MotoGP vicariously because even though on-track success has been so hard to come by, Bagnaia and Morbidelli are studs that you can take even a more hands-on approach with if you like, and you clearly can already take a lot of credit for where they are right now, and again, they're two studs. You have Luca, who's already proven he belongs in MotoGP, so you can work closer with him if you like, and you have Marco Bezzecchi, who's going to end up in MotoGP next year, basically. That's your legacy. Continue with that. You can feel like you're still in MotoGP just by developing and managing those guys, I think, if that appeals which I'd hope it would, but obviously, who can who can say beyond Valentino? There is one thing I will throw out there because it's something I get asked on a semi-regular basis on social media. I And I will draw a red line through it right now. He will not go to World Superbikes. Oh, I haven't even thought that. Simply <laughs> oh. will not happen. Yeah. No, I know, but I'm just putting it out yeah. there so that everyone is clear that there's a group assent on that. Ain't happening. Would be great though. I, I was just That'd sort be of. Fun. I'd rather see him in endurance personally, but yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, about his his farewell tour. Does it mean that he doesn't do the press conferences and actually after every session he just comes straight out of the garage and goes and signs autographs in the VIP area and that's all he does and don't want to get their don't want to get their money's worth. You know, it, that that's the that's the farewell tour thing. Simon. But don't forget, he's he's not Casey Stoner. He likes doing the press conferences. He likes talking to the media. He likes all I'm of I'm being that. flippant, but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah I do, yeah, I do. Yeah, but but yeah. he loves all of the circus. <laughs> That's what makes him quite different to a lot of the others before him. And what we haven't discussed after 30 minutes is, is if he stop, when he stops riding MotoGP, he won't not have a crash helmet in the bag, in his in his suitcase already, because he's been down the car route, he's done the rallying route, he's getting more and more involved with GT3, with the Ferrari, Abu Dhabi, Le Mans, Ferrari, coming back to Le Mans, doing something. There's still that scenario there. Um, is he going to win Le Mans? Probably not, but he could very easily win his class, and that's a big thing in Le Mans terms. Ferrari coming back to Le Mans, for me, is just a mid-for-Rossi scenario. But that, for me, that just makes complete sense. He will he will be in Ferrari's team in Le Mans. I mean, yeah, for, there's already there will be options if he if he just snaps his fingers and goes, I want to do the GT amateur class. Basically, I don't think it would be LMP2. I think LMP2 would be weird. But the the, the other class that's available is you you can do GT amateurs, and you you then he really can win Le Mans in his class. It will be extremely realistic right away. I think it it it'd be quick enough in an LMP2 car. Um, but a works team is is yeah. another discussion because then he's, he's really there's a lot of testing that goes on behind the scenes and that's mentally breaking. Um, he's, as I call it, he jumped on an aeroplane at 16 years old. He hasn't jumped off it, uh, and that's the bit that gets you down is the travel and all the all the BS. So um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, hmm. He'll still be racing. He'll still be getting a buzz. But of course, obviously, motorcycles is his. Or is his first love. Hmm. We've all got some valid points. We just need to glue them all together. Please, can somebody glue them all together? Starting by getting people back into the grandstands. That would be a great start. That would be a good start. Everybody. That would be the start. It seems... I think... This is the, this is the killer question. I think once they're back in the grandstands, 
that's the first domino that starts everything that we've just 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 discussed. And it's quite interesting that there'll be eleven thousand fans at Assen, one of the last two races before the summer break, traditional Valentino Rossi territory, right before he has to make the decision. If he goes back and there's a cheering crowd and he has a half decent result and he can stand in front of them and wave his arms and do something stupid, how much will that influence his decision? Mm, quite, quite. Well, let's see how it all shakes out. Okay, uh, just moving on for a moment. Is let's just change the subject. Uh, it, has the Le Mans race that we had a week ago is that a little too late for for Tech Three KTM? The, the duo and the problems they're having there. Can Gardner or Fernandez jump into Tech Three for for twenty twenty two? I think. The one thing the Le Mans race showed us more than anything is that the problems at KTM are not problems at Tech 3. They're problems across the entire brand. Um, you know, the best KTMs at Le Mans were the Tech 3 bikes uh, when it rained and, and the disadvantages of the bike disappeared. I, I think there has been a tendency to be perhaps overly harsh towards Petrucci and Lacona when when you look at the results, they're a hell of a lot closer to Oliveira and Binder than Binder and Oliveira are to whoever's winning the race. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I I wouldn't say that any sort of suggestion that Petrucci and Lacona are on the are in the hot seat is some sort of indictment of Patricia and Lequona. I'd say rather it's an acknowledgement that there's an abundance of KTM riches in the lower categories, and at some point. Somebody's going to have to make room, unfortunately. I, again, Raul Fernandez comments suggest that he's sort of okay with waiting another year, which is, that is impressive. It's an impressive amount of loyalty. Uh, Remy Gardner won't wait another year. I think he contractually will probably end up on one of those bikes in, in 2022. So one of those guys you'd have to imagine is, is definitely toast. Which is why the top five for Petrucci was well-timed, but also in the dry at Le Mans, Lequona looked a lot better than all season. So I think that's still, that's still going to be an interesting question. Exactly that. I think one of them will be in danger, but I don't know which one of them it will be. My gut feeling is it's probably Lacona based solely on Petrucci's experience and the fact that they're going to want someone who's a little bit older and a little bit, you know, a little bit of a veteran within the setup somewhere, which is what he was hired to do in the first place. It's Ducati and Zarco. Quite. Quite. Which is my next subject. You know, what's what's John Zarco's longer term view now that Ducati are getting more and more into bed with Miller? I think he's happy where he is. He's got a competitive bike. He's got a competitive salary. He, I think, is intelligent enough to know that he's probably never going to be in a straight season a MotoGP world champion. So the next best thing is to be a regular MotoGP podium finisher and an occasional race winner. And he can do that at Pramac. Yeah, it, it depends on whether there's still whether there's still the lingering realization within Zarco that the KTM thing went so bad that he could have easily just not been in MotoGP at this point at all. Which obviously, I think there will be a, a fair amount of gratitude to Ducati. But at the same time, also, I think everybody has to acknowledge that that gratitude is being completely repaid. They they've made the bet, and he's he's repaying that bet and. For next year, I think there probably won't be any problems in his head if if uh, if they stick with Miller. You know, two wins on the trot, fair enough. But for twenty three, 
I don't know. For 23, I think he, he there's a, a will be a big part of him that's like, I want to end up in the, in the factory seat by then at the expense of one of these two guys. I'd imagine, certainly. I can't get my head around two races time, let alone 18 months. Um, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not being rude. I'm. I'm trying to be flippant and not being very good at it. But yeah, uh, you're right, Simon. You know, Zarco is clever enough and intelligent enough to realise that he's not going to win the championship. But I always look at it as a Carlos Checker. You know, he was a works rider for 21 years. That's a lot of fat invoices with a lot of big numbers on. You know, I think Zarco can win the championship. I think Andrea Dovicioso, who was basically definitely not world champion material midway through his MotoGP career, then suddenly got within basically a race win's distance of it. I, 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 I can't imagine Zarco's already resigned himself considering how well he started on the track three Yamaha and considering that he's, he's looking very, very capable on the, on the Pramac. I think he won't let that dream compromise the really good thing he has going with Ducati right now. But I, I think I still think the dream is dream still alive. Maybe we'll ask him this Thursday. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately with, with Zarco, he's, he's learned so much, as you said, after the KTM debacle, uh, two years ago. Now he's, he's almost too humble. Am I right in saying that he's almost too polite He's not aggressive enough with the helmet off. He's learned his lesson not to be a bit like this, different, no manager, different manager, call it what you will. Is that going to be a hindrance for his contract negotiations, I suppose is what I'm saying. I wouldn't say he's become more humble or, or more pacifist. I think he's just become a little bit more chilled out and he's maybe less angry about everything. Um, and he's just learning a little bit when to pick his battles. And, you know, he still lobbied very hard for himself last year. Uh, whenever it was between him and Bagnaya for the second seat, he was still pushing hard then. Yeah. It's just that once he realized the decision was made, he, he was fine with it. He settled for the decision once it was made and that was all good. Let's get on with the job that we have. Uh, other news filtering through. Th- through. Um Grassini with De Giantonio. Where are things at there? Yeah, there's a contract between Digia and Grassini team that was signed by him and Fausto, and I think that the team will do everything in their power to honour it. Uh, the big question is, what will what bikes will they be using? But the, the VR46 Ducati thing is all but done. Um, it, it literally, I think they're going to sign a contract on Thursday and then announce it the week after. Um, Ducati have made some noises about, oh yeah, we can run eight bikes, but we know that what we've heard is that Grissini can save two million euros a year by going Aprilia. That two bikes there will cost them three million, which is more than covered by the four million they'll get from Dorna for running a team. Uh, whereas Ducati will cost them five million, which means instead of having a million in the pocket, they've got a million to find before the season even starts. And let's not forget, they are going out looking for sponsors afresh in a difficult time to find sponsorship. Um, you know, they've not had to do sponsorship acquisition really for what twenty fifteen since they went with Aprilia. So obviously the skills are still there, but it's you know it's work that has to be done in a different climate and a difficult climate. So yeah, my, my gut is that we'll see them go Aprilia with DGA plus a another rider. Probably, if I was to take a punt, Joe Roberts, because Dorna want an American and Aprilia want an American. 
I remember a couple of years ago when, you know, when I still attended races, um, watching a Moto2 dogfight, and I don't remember where, between Digia and Augusta Fernandez. And at that point, I was like, oh, those two guys, those two guys are in MotoGP for sure. Uh, on Augusto's side, that prediction so far looks crap, does not look very good. Uh, has Digia done enough to do, to be in MotoGP now? Like he's clearly, there's clearly flashes of, of real, real good stuff from him, but is, is it enough to, to, for him to warrant a MotoGP seat next year? And is it enough if the, if the shakeout ends up phasing out some of the current guys? Like if, if the musical chairs end up costing, say again, Bastianini, is that, is that right? I think if there's one thing we've learned, you know, the entire first 30 minutes of this podcast is that just because something isn't right doesn't necessarily mean it's what happens in MotoGP contracts. <laughs> <laughs> there's a long history of this sort of thing happening. But he is real uh, good. I, mean, I, I, would argue, I would argue yeah, he yeah. showed flashes last year, yeah. but yeah. this year he's starting to back them up with a bit of consistency. And that there is an argument, especially whenever Fernandez, you know, the guys in front of him in the championship, Fernandez has a solid career path. Gardner has a contract to move up. And uh, Bezeki has a contract to move up. And, and Sam Lowe's isn't really trying to move up. So whenever you look at the guys around him, yeah, I think it's fair. You know, arguably he's done as much as, say, Bezeki. And, and we're talking about him like a surefire candidate for MotoGP. Okay, we now look forward to the Italian MotoGP at Mugello. You can watch all of the three Grand Prix, Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP races all live and catch up on all the best bits with the new BT Sport monthly pass for just £25. This pass doesn't have a recurring contract, and you can stream the races on any two devices simultaneously. For more details and to sign up in time for Mugello, check out the link that we've got in the description for this episode. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. Val, Simon, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed that chat about Valentino Rossi. I think we've all got some great viewpoints and it all we're all kind of on the same bus going in the same direction. We hope. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Look forward to catching up after Mugello. Do like and subscribe so you'll get the latest podcasts uh, uh, from the race straight into your phone. We'll be racing again soon. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.